Thank you to the worship team for leading us in worship this morning. It is good to see everyone here. It is good to be back together again. For a little bit this morning, we weren't sure if we'd be together this morning or not. Um, So I'm sure there's some who are at home live streaming. That is perfectly fine. Let me just say, I think I said it in the text, but let me, I want you to hear me say it. Like if we have church on a morning like this and it's the roads are shaky, we're not sure. If you don't feel safe, stay home. That's perfectly fine. Um, We do not want you to feel like you absolutely have to come if you don't feel like it's safe. Um, Obviously, we try to make the right call, but we'll get it wrong. So just want you to know that. I want you to hear that. But it is really good to be here this morning to worship with you guys. Um, There's something special about church family. This is the first Sunday in 2024 that we're together. So it seems kind of like 2023 was a long time ago. It seems like, I don't know. Time has just been really warped for me the last couple of weeks. Um, But we're so glad to be here and to worship in 2024. So I would invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16. Yes, Thank you. Children's Church. Sorry about that. Children's Church, you are dismissed. Thank you, Andrew. (coughs) Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at 11 through 16. Find your way as the children make their way out. If there's something that I strongly believe in is that every person here this morning, man, woman, youth, whoever you are, whether you're an employer, a stay-at-home mom, a student, wherever you find yourself, you are in full-time ministry. Think about that. Do you believe it, that you are in full-time ministry? Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of Christ, until we attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Every person, each one of you, is in full-time ministry. Now, we often think of ministry in terms of, even as ministry of the Church of Providence, we often think of that as what happens here Sunday morning. And it is that, okay? It is our discipleship hour. It is our worship time. It is the sermon. It is the... Um, the message going out on our live stream. 
It is the impact that we have in the community with our the fall festival, with VBS. That is all ministry, ministry that is flowing out of our church. But if we hold ministry into what happens here at this location, I believe we actually limit the ministry of Providence. So what is the call of the Church of Providence? The first verse, or the second um, verse I read there, verse 5, Paul says to equip the saints for ministry. Now if each one of you is in full-time ministry, and our call as a church is to equip people to fulfill the ministry that God has called you to. What happens when you take your ministry, your full-time ministry, to your job tomorrow morning? What happens when you take it to school? What happens when you take it to the grocery store? When you go shopping? Wherever you go, you are in ministry. And it absolutely, it explodes and it expands the ministry of the church at Providence in in ways that are much bigger than just our building, just our location. And so I believe that's something I'm really passionate about is that one of the calls of the church is to equip its people to minister. That is to call out the gifts, the strengths, the abilities. But there's also a piece of it, um, Paul talks about it here in terms of growing up in Christ. There's this, we use the word discipleship. And discipleship is this going deeper in our walk with Christ as individuals. And as each one of us does that, I believe, and as we as a church work towards that, that every person here will be better equipped to go and fulfill their ministry. So think about the unique time in history that we live in. 2024. Look at how life has changed in the last decade. Y2K. Most of you to remember, young to remember Y2K. Um, but life has changed so dramatic, drastically, so quickly, and it's going to continue to change quickly. But think about 2024 in particular. Look at the political polarization that's happening around us. We're in an election year. Feelings are just exploding. Um, there's wars. There's post-pandemic realities. Things that have changed because of, because of that. We have the realities of technology, AI. AI has been a big thing on the radar recently. All of those things are vying for attention, and they, they, have this, they have the ability to pull us away from what we need to be focusing on. Not only that, the church itself, the church in America is probably facing, I know I want the hardest, but we are facing opposition in ways that we haven't in the past. With um, sexual orientation, gender, gender distinction, um, marriage, homosexuality, on and on you can go. And we're facing things that we haven't faced in the past. So in the midst of all of that, that's happening in the world, our culture, to the church in 2024. How are we going to keep ourselves aligned with what God is calling us to as a church? So a couple weeks ago, I think it was a couple weeks ago, the last time we had church, um, we reflected on what God had done in the last 
five plus years, whatever it was, all the good things, we, we celebrated the good things that God did. And God has done so many powerful things, so many amazing things here for us and in us and to us. And, and I, I'm so thankful for that. But how, how did all of those things happen? A lot of those things were birthed in pain and trial and hardships. And when, and when things are going well, there's this tendency to maybe to try to, we just start coasting a little bit. It's not, maybe not as, when, when, we're, when we're up against the wall, that's when we start crying out. But what if we continue crying out and seeking God when things are going well, as, as well as when things are going really, really difficult, or are really difficult for us? So we looked in the past, but what about the future? Where does God want to take providence in the next year? What about the next five years? Do you ever let yourself think about where, where will we be in five years from now? We look back at where we were in five years. Look at how much changes in five years. I'm going to be 51, for crying out loud. That's old, or feels old, looks old to me right now. But those are reality, and, and those five years go so quickly. They just, it's just like a flash, and they're gone. They're, they're past. Now, I'm not, <clears throat> I don't know, I'm not necessarily a big idea, I don't know, big dreamer kind of guy. I love living in reality. I love living in the, I don't know, what, the, the everyday things, the, the hard things, the grime of life, getting my hands dirty with everyday issues of life that we face. And that's, I, I, it is what it is. That, that's where I love to be. But I also recognize that there is very little or no power in the present if we don't have something, a hope for the future. If we have a hope for the future, a hope for where God wants to take us, that gives us power to live in the present. And so maybe I'm not the big picture guy, but God has sure given us or surrounded us with a team. That's why I love the team that we have to, that I get to work with, people who bring all those different things that I don't, and I bring things that they don't. We have this, this beautiful way that we can work together, and we can begin to dream about what God wants to do in PCF in the next years. Can I just share a couple of them with you? I would love to see, and this, this I think it'll happen, a well-stocked library over here with just full of materials for the, for the children, for all of us, study materials, whatever, um, powerful, just, just good reading. I would love to see that. It would be awesome to see us have a space that is dedicated just for our youth, where they can get together and hang out, a space that is just for them. We had celebrated um, last year, or last couple weeks ago, um, the mission trip and then the group that's sitting over here, and how can we continue to grow that? We would love to see mentor groups formed for men and women here in our church. We'd love to see our life groups continue to grow in community and in discipleship as we grow deeper. We have Bible studies, um, and we have baptism coming up March 17th. So this is an announcement for you who didn't know that. Um, we have Benson and Marcus and Jolene, both of them, are going to be, we're going to baptism here on March 17th. That's huge. That's so exciting. We got to meet with them um, a couple weeks, last, just this last Wednesday, actually. Um, we started, we're starting a series of classes with them and with Brandon, who was baptized last fall. 
Um, it's been great. We have a guy here who is, um, we're getting a jail ministry started, a guy here who's leading up, leading that. So God is doing and wants to do big things, even much bigger than what we can talk about here. But in all of those things, say we start all of those things, we accomplish those things. Why? What are we accomplishing with them? They need to be taking us somewhere. Those things need to be pushing us to something. And I would suggest to us this morning that if we accomplish these things and we have, these, have programs in place, but that's all they're doing, we're just filling up spaces with people that we're missing something, that we're missing the most important piece. All of these things that we, we strive to accomplish as a church need to be to take each one of us as individuals deeper in our walk with Christ so that we can be more effective in our ministry. Each one of you can be more effective in your ministry as you go out into your workplace and into the world. So we have to be able to look at the bigger picture. Why We have to have that why behind the things that we're doing. Now, discipleship may be a little bit of a buzzword, but it's something I guess I'm, I'm pretty passionate about. And discipleship is simply, let me define it this way. It's the process of making disciples. This is what I'm talking about. This where we, Everything that we're doing is to be taking us deeper so that we can be more effective in our ministry. It is a journey of intentional decisions leading to a maturing relationship with Jesus, becoming more like him and building his kingdom. Discipleship that truly transforms takes intentionality and it involves deep work of the individual and of us as a church. Discipleship is not about activity alone. We can fill our lives with loads of activity and we're just spinning our wheels, but it's much more, it is activity, but it's much more than that. It's not about getting better. It's not about being a better person. It's about being broken. It's not about attaining something, but it's about learning to simply be, to be with Jesus, be who you are, be who God made you to be. And so as we look into the next year and we think about equipping us as a church to serve, to accomplish God's purpose for your life, your ministry that God is calling you to, and growing and pushing ourselves to go deeper in our relationships with Christ, but in Paul's words, to grow up in maturity. Three ways that I think, three things that I would believe are really crucial if we're going to accomplish that in our lives. And then I want to end with, okay, so how can we make this practical? The three ways that we take our discipleship and we take our relationship with God and we take our level of maturity to just another level. First way is through prayer. Prayer is key. Why do we do so little of it? The purpose of prayer is about building, it's about relationship, it's about connecting us with the one who created us, the one who sustains us. It's about bringing our petitions, our cares, our worries, our fears, bringing all of that to our Savior. But it's not 
This is, how, this is where I fail so often. It's not simply a means of escape. Suddenly I'm in trouble. We're in trouble as a church. What do we do? We pray. What happens when things are going really well? God is doing great things. We need to be praying. We don't stop just because things are going well, but we off too often, let me make it personal to me because this is me, we see me, prayer as a means of escape. It is that place, he, God is that place where we turn to in prayer. We bring our fears, our worries, our troubles because we don't need to carry them alone. We've got a God who walks alongside and carries those burdens that we have. He carries them with us. It's in prayer that we find the strength that carries us through the hard things in life. Read through the Psalms. Prayer is for praise. It's for request. It's for repentance. It's for pain. It's for thanksgiving. It's for relationship. Prayer is to align my heart and your heart with what God's heart is. It's not about bringing God into my world. It's about me aligning my heart, my will, with God's will. Warren Wearsby says this, The immediate purpose of prayer is the accomplishing of God's will on earth. The ultimate purpose of prayer is the eternal glory of God. If we want to see a church that's really empowered to, um, and empowering its people to fulfill their ministry, their mission that God is calling them to, then it's going to require God's power that needs to be brought in through prayer. God, God acts in response to people's prayers. I'm, like I said, I'm so convicted with the lack of prayer in my own life so many times. But the other thing then is in how little we pray together as a church. I was struck with that. It was like in a Sunday morning, a given Sunday morning, maybe five minutes at different, at different times we pray together. I was reading, going through the book of Acts. Acts 1.14. All these were of one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Acts 6.4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And if you look up, Prayer, praying prayers in the book of Acts, it is everywhere. The early church, they based their lives, their worship, it was, it was absolutely bathed and covered in prayer. That's what they built, that's what it was built on. So why do we do so little? How can we do more? How can we Pray together as a body more. Praying is what they did. This I'm talking about the church in Acts, and it's who they were. You can also look at the life of Jesus, and we'll look at him in a little bit later, but Jesus spent countless hours praying. So prayer is key. The second one, and, the, and by the way, these three I'm, I'm talking about them separately, but they absolutely, I'm not sure if you can actually separate them. 
because they flow together so tightly. Prayer is the first one. Surrender is the second one. We need to come to a place where we deeply surrender our lives, not only initially surrendering our lives to Jesus, but on a daily basis where we surrender our lives to God, His Lordship, His direction in our lives. Surrender is not giving up. It's not giving up and saying, I quit. If you want to listen to a good sermon on surrender, go back. Brandon, when was your baptism? Mike preached that Sunday on surrender. November 5th. Go back on the live stream. It's still up. um, And see that, or listen to that. A great view or perspective on surrender. It's laying down the need to be in control. How many of you like to be in control of your life? Yikes. I do. It's laying down that need to be in control. So here, a week, two weeks ago, when I was sick, um, boy, that was hard on my pride. I was, I mean, yeah, I was flat for a couple of days, and usually, and here's why it was hard on my pride, because usually I can just, I can push through. You know, I just suck it up, let's go push through it. And I just flat out couldn't. And then we didn't, ended up canceling church last Sunday, and it was like, seriously, I felt like such a wimp. And then, as I, as I was thinking about that, okay, so why did that feel, why, why did it feel that way? There was, there was a piece of me that I needed to surrender, and that is the need to look like I've got it, I have everything in control. I mean, I, I'm always going to be here. I, I had to lay it down. I had to let it go and surrender it. So I'm not always going to be here. But it's a piece. So it, when these things happen in our lives, we have to be able to take, stop and take some inventory. Okay, so why, why is this so hard? What, what, am I, what do I need to be surrendering? What is it that I need to surrender? When Jesus talked to his disciples, or when in Matthew 16, he didn't try to hype them up with this, you've got this, believe in yourself, go get him. It wasn't that kind of a talk that he gave them. Listen to what Jesus told his disciples, and this is about surrender. If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? Surrender is freeing yourself or freeing God to do things with your life and in your life that are going to go way beyond what you can ever dream or imagine. If you want to hinder or slow down God's work in your life and what God wants to do with your ministry is don't surrender pieces of your life to Him. Keep control of it. But when we let go, God does big things, huge things, things that we can't. They're way beyond our own imagination. A beautiful example of surrender from Scripture. We just came through Christmas season, the Christmas season. You look at the life of Mary. And you think about what, what actually, when the angel came to Mary, what 
the angel was asking of her, what God was asking of her. And what was her response? And I, man, if, if we can all wake up every day and respond the way Mary did, he says, be it to me just as like you told me. Just here I am, take me, use me. That's the surrender that God can use. So prayer and surrender, but I believe both of those are birthed in solitude. Prayer and surrender, I believe, are both birthed in solitude. What do I mean when I say solitude? Removing oneself from the rush of life to quiet our hearts and minds so that we can hear God. Hear God as we pray. Hear God as He speaks into areas of our life that we need to surrender. It's in solitude that we simply learn to just be. We're, we're driven people, and that's good. We love doing things, and that's good. But we first need to learn how to just be. Just be with God. Just be. It's in solitude that we learn and we're reminded that the world doesn't revolve around me. The world doesn't revolve around you either. When we draw back, when we stop being productive, the world doesn't stop. Because we're not in control. God's got that. So there's this, there's this uh, great show that I've been watching on Prime. Um, most of my family thinks it's boring, but I think I kind of got them in, intrigued with it. It's called Alone. Has there, anyone ever seen it or heard of it? Really? It's a, Alone. It's, they drop off contestants... It's the closest, the closest reality, reality show that I've seen. Contestants are dropped off. Uh, the, one, the one season they were in Patagonia, in the middle of the wilderness, Northwest Territories, the Arctic, um, Vancouver Island. But they're dropped off. They have 10, I think it's 10, survival items that they can choose to take with them. Then they're dropped off, and they have to survive. They have to find their food. They have to forage their food. They have to kill their food. They have to fish, whatever. And whoever survives the longest alone, and they have, they're their own camera. They're their own film crew. They carry their own cameras with them. The only time they ever see someone is they have scheduled checkups. And it's nothing for them to lose 25 to 30% or more of their body weight in a matter of a month or 40 days because they're just surviving. But the most intriguing, the best part of it, is the mental part. The mental part of what happens to these people when they're suddenly totally alone. Completely alone. You've got no one to talk to. You've got no books to read. You've got, it's just you. And you're out in the middle of nature. What? So listen, and and this is a theme that you hear coming up over and over and over and over again. Season 5 winner, Sam Larson, said, In a world of traffic lights and cell phones, it is very difficult to find the time to think about anything of substance. He also said, To be at a place where you ask yourself hard questions, to be vulnerable, only happens when you're alone. 
And this is a theme. Over and over you hear it. It's these, all of a sudden, and I've never seen, I've never seen anything that can take the strongest, most rugged mountain man you want to imagine and absolutely shatters him and breaks him. Not only to survive the harshness and the hardness, difficulty to survive, but the being alone. But it's in that being alone that suddenly the people, they begin to realize what is really important. So they're in the contest. They want to win half a million. And almost every single one of them come to a place where they realize, you know what? What's that? That's just money. It doesn't matter. Because they begin to see what's really important in life. Listen to what another one of them said, Jordan Jonas. In our modern world, we're so distracted that we have a hard time thinking deeply about anything. The importance of solitude. We need to find a place where we can quiet our hearts, quiet our minds, so that we can hear God. Solitude is where we discover what's really going on in here. In here. And we have to be able to quiet all the noise around us to be able to discover that. I just, I won't, I'm not going to take the time to turn to these passages, but if you want a, a great example of someone who embraced solitude, it was Jesus. Jesus in Matthew 14, when John the Baptist was beheaded in grief, it says Jesus heard this. He withdrew to a desolate place. In the Garden of Gethsemane, in his praying, he was in distress. He, had, he withdrew from everything, as a, everything else. After Jesus fed the 5,000 and he was, just, he was wiped out, what did he do? Jesus withdrew to a desolate place. You see that over and over in Jesus' life. But don't wait for crisis to pull yourself into solitude. Do you know what Jesus did in Mark, the first part of chapter, or Mark chapter 1? His fame was spreading like wildfire. Everyone was cheering on Jesus, this Jesus that had come on the scene. They were so excited about his ministry. Crowds were crushing him, coming to him. What did Jesus do? Everything was going just boom, booming. He withdraws into a desolate place to be with his Father. In John 6... The people wanted to make Jesus their king. They were so excited about who he was. What does Jesus do? He withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Not only did Jesus practice it, he told his disciples to practice it. This was in Mark 6 as well, when the disciples had gone out in, to do their ministry, just come back from this mission trip, and Jesus tells him, come away by yourselves to a desolate, desolate place, and rest a while. So we, solitude is something, not something that we do simply when we hit crisis. It needs to be a part of our lives so that we can hear and, and respond to what God is wanting to teach us and to enter into the deep things, the hard things that are in our lives. This is how, this is where we learn to be before we do. It's how we solidify our, identify, our identity in Christ. We're not loved for what we, accomplish, what we can accomplish, but we're loved unconditionally as a son or a daughter in Christ. And the message from Zephaniah 3.16 
can begin to really sink in and take root. Do you believe this? That God will rejoice over you with gladness? That he will quiet you with his love? That he exalts over you with loud singing? Can you let that resonate and sink in? I think we need times of solitude for that to happen. But it's in solitude that prayer is birthed forth, is birthed forth or it comes out. It's in, in solitude that surrender. We come to deeper levels, deeper levels of surrender. And if we long to be difference makers as individuals and as a church, then we need to invest or embrace solitude. Our doing for God, which is so important, but it must flow from our being with God. We get those turned, I get those turned around over and over and over again. Our doing for God must flow from our being with God. Whether things are going as we plan or not, if we find ourselves as individuals or as a church, if we find ourselves growing deeper in surrender, into deeper prayer, then I believe God is accomplishing his work. Maybe on the surface it doesn't look like things are going. Maybe things are falling apart on the surface. But if God is taking us to a deeper place, then he's accomplishing his purpose. So how do we, how do we actually do this? How does that, I mean, nice thoughts, whatever, prayer, surrender, solitude, how, do, how does that become a part of our lives? How do we actually begin to move towards that? I would love to hear ideas from you how we can make prayer a bigger part of what we do together as a church. I have some ideas. We'll see where, we'll see where they go, but I think, I think we need to embrace much more prayer as a church. They need to be a part of our small group gatherings even where we simply get together and pray where that becomes who we are, everything that is built around that. And in his surrender, we lay down our desires for God's, both personally and as a church. We don't push our agenda for what we want to accomplish in church. It's God's. We surrender it to him. We say, take us where you want us to go. And now solitude. And solitude, when I say solitude, I mean put down the phone, Go to a place where it's quiet. Remove every distraction from around you (coughs) and simply sit with God. Sit with God in silence. I'm going to challenge us as a church and I'm going to invite you into into this. I'm I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or whatever, but I believe that this is something that is so important. And if we can find a way to begin to incorporate this into our lives, we're the better for it as a church and then as individuals in, God, in, a, in the ministry that God has called us to. So I'm going to invite you guys to join me in, in either one or both of these idea, these things of solitude is twice a day for five minutes. This is aside from your devotions or whatever, just twice a day, morning, Afternoon, evening, wherever you choose to fit it in, 
take five minutes twice a day of just solitude. Stop everything. A 10-hour day is what? How many hours? Or how many minutes? 60 minutes? 100 minutes. Right? Math, I think. Something like that. Can you sit in silence, in solitude with God? I want you to join me in doing that. Or, this is different and yet powerful. Once a month, take half a day or four hours to be in solitude. It's a long stretch. But sometimes when we had those extended periods of solitude that just you and God, prayer, surrender begins to flow from that, that we get into, God can begin to get some of those deeper places in our lives that he can't when we have all the noise surrounding us. So you can do one, you can do both, you can do none, but I think our church, we would, be, we would all, as individuals and as a church, it would do marvels. It would do wonders for us. So I'm going to invite you into that in the next year, the 2024. Either five minutes twice a day or once a month for four hours. Stand with me, would you please? Worship team, do you have a song, Tim, to close? I invite you to come up. God, this morning we're not looking for easy. God, this is, we're, we're part of your church. Um, and so I pray that we would be willing to do what it takes for you, for you to take us to a deeper place in our walk with you, in our journey with you, individually and as a church. And that prayer and surrender and solitude would become ingrained in who we are and what we do. Thank you that your love is unconditional, and I pray that we could just we could soak in the depth of your love, and that would just drive us deeper and deeper in a, in our walk with you, and that makes our impact in our world so much bigger than what we can accomplish on our own. In Jesus' name, Amen.